Welcome to the Skeptic's Guide to Emergency Medicine. Meet him, greet him, treat him, and street him. Today's date is March 8, 2023, and I'm your skeptical host, Ken Milne. The title of today's podcast is, And I gel myself, I'm over you, cause I'm the king, tube, of wishful thinking. Oh, clearly I can't sing. All right, our guest skeptic today, Dr. Chris Root, is a third-year resident physician in the Department of Emergency Medicine at the University of New Mexico Health Science Center in Albuquerque, New Mexico. He's also a flight physician with UNM Air Medical Service, and he is a former New York City paramedic. And this summer, he'll be starting fellowship training in EMS medicine at UNM. Welcome back to the SGM, Chris. Thanks so much, Ken. It's great to be back. Well, you picked that song that I <laughs> destroyed. Uh, vaguely familiar with it, though, but I don't think it's from the 1980s. You know, it is actually a song from 1990, uh, the only lasting contribution to the musical lexicon by the now forgotten band Go West. But with King in the title, it seemed like the perfect blend for uh, for today's topic. Yeah, it, it really did work. Last time you were here uh, as the guest skeptic, we were discussing chest tube sizes for traumatic hemothorax. That was SGM number 355. Can you remind the SGMers, what was the bottom line from that episode? Uh, bottom line was that uh, it is reasonable to offer a pigtail catheter instead of a traditional large-bore surgical chest tube for the evacuation of traumatic hemothorax in a hemodynamically stable patient. And if you want to hear the whole paper summarized in one minute, I'm doing TikTok videos now, and you can find a link on the SGM homepage. Ken, I had no idea you were a TikTok star, but I'm excited to follow you once I download TikTok. Yeah, I don't know if I'm a, quote, influencer. I might be a, a nudger, a small little push. Um, but yeah, no, I just started doing TikTok in January. I've got, I don't know, maybe a dozen uh, videos up summarizing each of a former SGM episode. And I try to do it in just one minute. So, you know, there it is, bottom line. Nice. All right, let's get on with the case today. Yeah. So a paramedic crew responds to a 54-year-old male in cardiac arrest at a private residence. A fire company is on scene providing high-quality cardiopulmonary resuscitation and has defibrillated twice with an automated external defibrillator. The fire-based crew has basic life support airway supplies, inclu including the King laryngeal tube. The paramedic crew that arrives to the arrest carries eye gel, superglottic airways, in addition to their intubation equipment. They plan to use a superglottic airway as their initial airway management strategy during this arrest, but they wonder if either of these two devices is superior. Airway management strategies for out-of-hospital cardiac arrests, the OCAs, has been hotly debated, and it seems it's been debated since the dawn of CPR. Now, there were two trials. One was called PART by Wang et al., and then there was the Airway 2 trial by Benger et al., and it recently evaluated the King-LT and the I-Gel, respectively, as alternatives to endotracheal intubation in these cardiac arrest patients. Yeah, given the difficulty associated with intra-arrest endotracheal intubation, use of supraglottic airways in the pre-hospital setting is becoming more and more common. This was discussed on the SGEM with paramedic and PA Missy Carter uh, when you two critically appraised the Airways 2 trial 
evaluating the use of iGel in OCA on SGEM number 247. So Chris, what's the clinical question we're going to address on today's episode? Which superglottic airway is associated with better patient outcomes, the iGel or the King LT in patients suffering out-of-hospital cardiac arrest? And what's the reference? Uh, the reference is Smita et al., a retrospective nationwide comparison of the iGel and King laryngeal tube superglottic airways for out-of-hospital cardiac arrest resuscitation, published in pre-hospital emergency care just this past month. Yeah, I think this is the first paper we've actually done from 2023 on the SGEM. All right, let's run through the PCOT. What was the population? Adult out-of-hospital cardiac arrest patients treated by EMS contained within the ESO database from 2018 to 2021 who received either a pre-hospital IGEL or King-LT superglottic airway insertion. And then they excluded patients who were less than 18 years of age, pregnant patients, had a do-not-resuscitate or other physician order for life-sustaining treatment, had achieved ROSC after bystander CPR only, or experienced out-of-hospital cardiac arrest due to trauma or hemorrhage. These were all excluded from the analysis. What was the exposure? The intervention group was the iGEL. And then the comparison? The King-LT. And let's run through their outcomes. What was their primary outcome? Survival to hospital discharge home. And their secondary outcomes? The secondary outcomes were first-pass success, return of spontaneous circulation, or ROSC, pre-hospital re-arrest, and intra-arrest end-tidal CO2 values. And this was a retrospective observational study. So the author's conclusions were, quote, in this data set, use of the iGEL during adult out-of-hospital cardiac arrest resuscitation was associated overall with better outcomes compared to the use of the King-LT. Subgroup analyses suggest that the use of the iGEL was associated with greater odds of achieving the primary outcome than the King-LT when used as a rescue device, but not when used as the primary airway management device. Okay, Chris, let's run through the quality checklist for observational studies. Do you think the study addresses a clearly focused issue? Yes. Did the authors use an appropriate method to answer their question? Uh, yeah, their methodology was appropriate for associations. Was the cohort recruited in an acceptable way? Yes. Do you think the exposure was accurately measured to minimize bias? That's unclear. How about the outcome? Was it accurately measured to minimize bias? That's also unclear. Have the authors identified all important patient confounding factors? We're unsure. Was the follow-up of subjects complete enough? Not exactly. We're going to talk more about that in the talk nerdy section. How precise do you think the results were? I think they're adequately precise. Do you believe the results? I, I do believe their data. Can the results be applied to the local population? So that's uh, a little complicated. The, the data was extracted from a very small fraction of total U.S. EMS records. That minority of agencies volunteered their data and only 10% of that data was available for the primary outcome they were evaluating. The data also lacked uh, sufficient granularity to know if it would apply and how it would apply differently to urban, suburban, rural, or remote communities. 
Whoa, 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 whoa. Hold on there, mister. I think you're starting to get into the talk nerdy section. We're just doing the checklist, okay? It's yes, no, or unsure. You know, sometimes the nerd in me just needs to break out, Ken. What can I say? It just needs to be released. All right. Do the results of this study fit into other available evidence? Yes. And how about funding for this study? Uh, There were no external funding sources. All right, let's run through the results. They assessed almost 300,000 out-of-hospital cardiac arrest cases eligible to include in the study. They were able to include almost 94,000 patients treated by 1,600 EMS agencies. Now, eye gels were inserted in the majority of cases, 58% of the time, and King LTs were inserted in the other 42%. The average age of patients in this data set was 63 years, and just over a third were female. 52% of the 94,000 patients were transferred to an emergency department. Of those transported to hospital, which was 49,000, only 19%, so that drilled down to about 9,400 patients had available disposition data. That means we have data on about 10% of that original 94,000 patients. Among the 10% of patients for whom that disposition data was available, 7% were discharged to home or self-care, 84% died after arrival at a hospital, 4% were discharged to a hospice, 3% were discharged to skilled nursing facilities, and 0.7% were discharged to a long-term acute care facility. Chris, give us the key result. No statistical difference in discharge home between the two devices when a superglottic airway was employed as the initial airway management strategy. Yeah, so that primary outcome was survival to hospital discharge home. What were the actual numbers? So they calculated an adjusted odds ratio of 1.26 for using the eye gel versus the king tube, but their 95% confidence interval was 0.95 to 1.68. And as we all know, a confidence interval and an odds ratio that crosses one is not statistically significant. How about if you looked at the subgroup of patients in which a superglottic device was used as a rescue airway after a failed intubation attempt? Here they found that use of the IGEL was associated with increased likelihood of discharge home with an adjusted odds ratio of 1.36. And here the 95% confidence interval ranged from 1.06 to 1.76. So they did detect a statistically significant difference when the IGEL was used as a rescue device. So in that subgroup, how about some of their secondary outcomes? Use of the iGel was associated with higher first pass success with device placement, higher rates of pre-hospital ROSC, higher intra-arrest end tidal CO2 values, and lower rates of re-arrest in the pre-hospital setting. All right, that's enough for the results section. I know you've been chomping at the bit. You've been wanting to sink your teeth into it. You've been ready to go and talk nerdy since we were doing the quality checklist. So let's talk nerdy and you get to go first. Okay, so first nerdy point is this is a retrospective data set. When retrospective data is used to answer a clinical question, there's far less ability to control for confounding factors than there would be in a prospective study. 
The authors attempted to control for confounding factors through their propensity scoring. However, any retrospective study has to be interpreted really cautiously. These statistical tools can't achieve the same rigor as a properly conducted randomized controlled trial. Good start to talking nerdy. Second point, how about discharge home? The authors utilize discharge home as their primary outcome. This is a pragmatic choice based on the available data set. However, it's probably not the most patient-oriented outcome or poo. Having a good neurologic outcome is likely to be more important to patients than merely surviving with severe disability. And this data set does not provide this important information. So point number three, uh, I want to talk nerdily about the source of the data. So the ESO Data Collaborative is a data set that is gleaned from a software vendor that provides services to over 2,000 EMS agencies in the United States. This is the EMR that is used by a fair number of U.S. EMS agencies. That may sound like a lot, but there are over 18,000 EMS agencies in the United States. Only 1,600 of the agencies in the ESO database voluntarily submit their data for research purposes. This could create some selection biases. In addition, only 10% of the OCA cases in this data set had data for the primary outcome of survival to hospital discharge home. This severely limits the strength of any conclusions from the available evidence. Now, in this data set, they did provide some information on geographic region within the United States. However, there was no granularity on other factors like were these urban patients, rural patients, how far were they transported, how long was that transport time? None of that granularity within that data based on regions was available. Exactly. And the nature of the available data set forced the authors to exclude any patients transferred to another hospital for continuing care from their analysis, which also may have introduced a form of survival bias. If you get better fast enough to be discharged home from the primary hospital, that is a different patient population than folks who have to be transferred to a tertiary center for continued care. The patients analyzed may have been more likely to recover completely without requiring transfer for subspecialty care. The fourth nerdy point is about superglottic airways being the primary device or a rescue device. The authors wanted to study the difference between the King LT and the IGEL as an initial airway management device, and they found that both devices were associated with similar rates of being discharged home. Interestingly, the IGEL was associated with higher rates of discharge home when it was employed as a rescue device after a failed endotracheal intubation. However, in this data set, the King LT was used as a rescue device almost twice as often, 12.6% versus 22%. And finally, let's talk about end-tidal CO2, waves versus numbers. So the authors utilize recorded end-tidal CO2 data in their sensitivity analysis to evaluate the ventilatory effectiveness of each device. The data available was in the form of discrete numbers charted by the clinicians or uploaded from the EMS monitor, not continuous waveform and tidal capnography. And these values may have been influenced by factors like minute ventilation and device leak that are not clearly captured in numeric data alone. Well, I hope you feel satisfied now that I've given you the opportunity to talk nerdy.
We've gotten all the nerdy out, so let's keep going. Oh, S. Gemmers, we have a treat for you. We have an update, and we're going to start by saying we are not perfect at the S. Gem. I hope everybody's sitting down for that big announcement. You know, we do make mistakes on occasion. And so I want to thank the lead author, Tanner Smita, for reaching out and clarifying a few things. Now, Tanner, he is a MD, PhD student studying at West Virginia University. Welcome to the SGEM, and we appreciate you helping us understand your publication better and get us closer to the, quote, truth. Yeah, thank you very much for having me on and uh, letting me clarify this point. Well, before we start with the correction, what year of medical school are you in and what are you doing your PhD on? Uh, so I'm finishing up my second year of medical school now, and I'm about to be heading into the, the PhD portion of my curriculum. Uh, the PhD is going to be in clinical and translational science. Oh, translational science. So knowledge translation. This is so meta. This is what we're trying to do. And when we published today, so this is like just today, when we published SGEM number 396 on IGEL versus King LTs for out-of-hospital cardiac arrest, you noticed that we had some trouble reporting on your primary outcome. Chris Root was my guest skeptic, and he thought maybe it was him and he did a transcription error on his part. I think it might have been me confusing your primary airway device used, like whether you use the iGel or the King LT as your primary airway device with the, quote, primary outcome. So clarify this. Help us out, Tanner. What was your primary outcome? Uh, our primary outcome was survival to hospital discharge to home, regardless of whether the supraglottic device used for each patient uh, was placed as a primary or first line strategy or as a rescue device following failed endotracheal innovation. Yeah. And so that's where we got a little confused because we thought primary airway device was the primary outcome, but it was the overall use of these devices, whether it was used as the first line primary attempt, or if there was a previous attempt, a failed attempt, and they were using this as a rescue device. So let's give the actual overall adjusted odds ratio that you found superiority for the IGEL over the King LT. Uh, so overall, uh, we found an adjusted odds ratio of 1.36 uh, that suggested superiority uh, of the IGEL over the King LT. Uh, the 95% confidence interval was fully on the side of the IGEL, so it was statistically significant. Yeah, so the point estimate favored the IGEL, and then that full portion of the 95% confidence interval was all on the side favoring the IGEL. Well, then I hear that the peer reviewers insisted that you include a sensitivity or subgroup analysis comprised of patients who received their supraglottic airway as a rescue device and as the primary device and place those results in your conclusions. So what did you find for those two subgroups, the primary strategy and the rescue strategy? Yeah, the, the peer reviewers were pretty firm. They definitely wanted to see those uh, in our conclusions. Uh, so for uh, the primary strategy, so these are the, the airway devices placed as, as first-line airways, the point estimate did favor the IGEL, but the, this result was not statistically significant when we looked at the 95% confidence interval, the lower bound crossed one. Um, however, the rescue strategy, they did, uh, the point estimate both favored the IGEL and the 95% confidence interval was, was above one that was statistically significant and, and favoring the IGEL. 
Um, and it's our belief that um, basically the, the benefit that we're seeing, the association between the IGEL and better outcomes is driven by the subgroup of patients that receive the IGEL as a rescue airway. Well, that is super helpful and explains why your conclusions were the way you crafted them or w- the way you put them together, but also our confusion. I remember recording this with Chris and going, it just, it just seems a little off or there's something missing. There was some dissonance there, something I wasn't fully understanding. And I should have reached out to you as the lead author for the clarification in advance. Yeah, no worries at all. We, we just wanted to, to make sure that um, everybody was clear that our conclusion was structured around the results of our primary analysis with respect to our primary outcome. Um, and the reporting of the sensitivity or subgroup analyses in the conclusion um, came later at the uh, pretty strong request of, of reviewers. <laughs> Reviewer number two. So mm-hmm. um, so the just so we don't get further confused, your primary analysis with respect to your primary outcome, which included both the primary strategy and the rescue strategy combined. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, Just so I don't want to compound that mistake. All right. So um, do you think any of this changes your bottom line or your take-home message from your study? Um, ultimately, no. Um, taken together, I think our study does suggest that there is an association um, between use of the IGEL and uh, a, a number of positive outcomes. All right. Well, our our sort of conclusion is we really think we should be focusing on high quality CPR and early defibrillation for patients with shockable rhythms in adults with out of hospital cardiac arrest, because it's usually a cardiac arrest. It's not usually a respiratory arrest in adults and spend less time maybe focusing on what kind of superglottic device you're using. But I am noticing a lot of the EMS services that I've seen, and I know I think it's Air Orange is also using the iGel predominantly now. Yeah, absolutely. We're, we're definitely seeing the, the same trends uh, in our area of practice. Um, and and we, we definitely agree um, with your, your conclusions at the SGEM. We think you did a really great job uh, with the episode critically appraising our paper. And uh, we really appreciate you enhancing the, the reach of our work. So thank you for all you do. Well, it's our pleasure and sorry again for uh, getting those primary things mixed up. Uh, We appreciate you coming on the SGEM to help us better understand your research. Any final thoughts before you go? No, I think that uh, that covers it very well. Well, thanks again. And good luck with the rest of your studies. Well, there you have an SGEM update with the lead author. And so now is the time in the program where we would comment on the author's conclusions and compare them to the SGEM's conclusions. So I've also updated that portion of the podcast. And so we generally agree with the author's conclusions. Now that we better understand what the primary outcome was and that the peer reviewers insisted they put those subgroups in their conclusions. What is the SGEM bottom line? So this is another study supporting the idea that airway is not the most important thing in adult out-of-hospital cardiac arrest. We should focus more on high-quality CPR and early defibrillation for shockable rhythms and less on the type of superglottic airway device that's used. And can you resolve the case that you presented at the start of the podcast? So the paramedic on scene responsible for airway management elects to insert an eye gel because this is the device that they are most familiar with. The crew continues high-quality CPR on scene and defibrillates the patient twice before he attains sustained ROSC. 
Serial 12-lead ECGs post-ROSC do not demonstrate a STEMI. The patient is transported to the nearest emergency department where he is admitted to the cardiac ICU. He later undergoes delayed cardiac catheterization, a strategy discussed in SGM episode 344, and that cardiac cath demonstrated no culprit lesions. He subsequently has an implantable defibrillator placed and is discharged home on hospital day four. And what are you going to do with this study, this large retrospective database study, and apply it clinically? I think based on this study, we can say that the the IGEL and the KING-LT are probably both appropriate options for airway management in out-of-hospital cardiac arrest. The IGEL may or may not be the superior rescue device after failed endotracheal intubation, and it appears to be more likely to be successfully inserted on the first attempt. And so what are you going to tell the patient's family while you're working at the scene because you're out in the scene, you're in the pre-hospital setting, you're an EMS person? What are you going to tell them? We're doing everything we can to save your loved one. We're going to place a device in his mouth to help him breathe. The most important things we can do now are to continue high-quality CPR. Then we'll try to shock him out of this cardiac arrest. If that's successful, then we'll transfer him to the closest appropriate hospital for more care. All right, it's time to announce the Keener Contest winner. Last week's winner was Aman Hassan. He knew the anterior part of the nose, which is richly vascularized, is called Little's area, or the Kesselbeck plexus. What's the question this week, Chris? If you ask someone to pass you an eye gel in this language, you might be surprised when they pass you a small woodland creature. <laughs> Interesting. Well, this is for our international audience who speaks more than one language, American. So if you know what small woodland creature would be passed to you if you said, hey, give me an IGEL. I think it's pronounced eagle, but IGEL in that uh, language. Then uh, send me an email to the sgem at gmail.com with Keener in the subject line. The first correct answer will receive a cool skeptical prize. Well, thanks, Chris, for coming back on the SGEM and being the guest skeptic. Thanks so much, Ken. It's always fun to get nerdy in the pre-hospital literature with you. Well, you know what else must be fun? The light at the end of the tunnel. You're almost there. You're in a three-year program, right? For your PGY3. So you're in your three-year pro. It's almost over, my friend. June 30th can't come soon enough, Ken. And you know what? And then it just starts again as a, in your fellowship or as an attending. I mean, it's, it's lifelong. It's lifelong. But one step has passed then. It's true. Next step on the journey of lifelong learning. But this has been a pretty big and grueling step. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, as we leave, can you read the SGM tagline? Absolutely. Remember to be skeptical of anything you learn, even if you heard it on the Skeptic's Guide to Emergency Medicine. Talk to everyone next week. 